PFF now has an app. Get access to industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis all in the palm of your hand. When you sign up, leave us a five-star review with your 2022 Super Bowl prediction and final score, and we'll share the best ones on the show. Will we actually share the best ones on the show? I, uh, I'm just reading the ad here, but that, uh, I guess we will. We'll share the best ones on the show. What is up? Welcome into the week four edition of Talking Ball, NFL week four, that is. I was going to say, you know, quarter of the way through the season here, but the stupid NFL schedule, we are not a quarter. There's no, like, quarter pull of the season. They ruined it with the 18 weeks and 17 games. It just doesn't, like, split up well. That's not true if your team plays in the Super Bowl, plays 20 weeks. Okay. All right. We can't all play in the Super Bowl every year, Quinn, right? like you. I mean, can't all have the Bengals fans or Rams fans at the moment. Um, today's show, though, jam-packed, going through one take, every team that we saw over the course of the weekend. Going to do a little fun to watch. I'll just say right now, it's mainly not fun to watch. It's actually all not fun to watch. This is going to focus heavily around um, one Antonio Brown, one non-NFL player. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Going to do mailbag questions. You guys sent in a bunch this week, so we got a loaded mailbag section. Section Football adjacent power rankings. Get into that at the back end. Going to do best alternate unis in honor of the Bengals breaking out the all-whites on Thursday night. And then an interview with Andre Carter, Army edge rusher, that we did over the course of the summer. Uh, very unique dude. Eh, can't modify unique. Just a unique dude. There was in Mel Kuyper's latest top 20. We'll be in the first round of my mock draft that drops tomorrow on PFF.com. First mock draft, midseason. Got some risers, got some new names in there from the last time we did it. We'll talk about that on the Thursday episode. Let's get in. Let's get into the weekend slate. Start with Thursday night. Quinn, what would you, you end up doing Thursday night for the game? How, how was your experience? I watched it home. Watched it home? Yeah. Okay. I, I was a washed old man, which yeah. I am. But uh, no, no it, was, it was cool. It was a... Uh, it, it, it would have been a good one to watch out because that game, like, I felt like even when the Dolphins kind of made it interesting there at the end, I've, it was kind of almost never really in doubt. And, I mean, obviously the Tua injury, like, that. that's why. Yes. But it was a it, it was not necessarily a barn burner. Like, a mm -hmm. lot of people around here last year, you know, the Bengals were kind of dubbed the cardiac cats. It was not that. Yes. There's, so this it was a nice, nice, relaxing little coast, A little coasting dub. Mm -hmm. One that they needed to have, truthfully, because yeah. according to PFF's metrics, they have the hardest schedule remaining. Yeah, can't go into Baltimore NFL. one and three. Yes. Can't but now you're going into Baltimore, tied first in the yep. AFC North. That is correct. So big, big turn of events because everyone else in the AFC North lost over the course of the weekend. From the Bengals' perspective, though, I don't think this changes. like that. This doesn't like change my opinion on their prospects long-term. The O-line has to play better. The pass-blocking grades. Here are the pass-blocking grades from this Weekend's game. Thursday's game. Jonah Williams, 70.8. Like, that's... He's going to be fine. Left tackle's going to be fine. Cordell Volson, 24.2. Ted Karras, 55.3. Alex Kappa, 43.5. And Lyle Collins, 35.5. This is not Micah Parsons. This was not TJ Watt. I don't know what the hell is going on with Lyle Collins, but he has a 38.1 overall grade this season. I, I know Duke Manyweather, one of the preeminent football offensive line evaluators trainers trains a bunch of these guys high-end guys 
float out that he may have an ankle issue from based on how he's passed. He that. had a bad back in camp too, and he missed most of camp. Actually, he, he just has to be banged up, right? Like he yeah. has to be playing through an injury because he was a top five right tackle in the NFL grade wise last two seasons. Went on the football field for the Dallas Cowboys, which that's your issue right now. You thought you were getting top five right tackle. You're getting Isaiah Prince at right tackle. You know, you're, you're getting the same shit you got last year at right tackle, which the interior was always kind of minor upgrades. These were always kind of like average interior players that you were paying just to try to get average play. But when you're not getting, when you're getting slightly below average play there and getting liability play at right tackle, I'm worried. I need to see that turn around before I'm really ready to go on board because, you know, the place of T. Higgins, the deep balls, those will come and go. Those are, on a weekly basis, a little fluky. The more time you have, though, the more chance you can take on those and the more you'll hit. But if you're not going to have time with this offensive line, I'm still a little worried about the Bengals. But must win. They, they, they'll have, you know, as we just said, not the quarter pole. They'll have 14 more weeks to correct this. So hopefully they do. From Dolphins' perspective, this, just, this fucking sucks. Like, that, that sucked. Watching Tua go down. You don't have to – you don't need me to tell you that the whole situation is very messed up, that firing the doctor, independent you know, evaluator, literally days after is a problem, problematic, you know, for the, organizationally, for the NFL, an absolute smear, stain on their reputation, how that all went down. Um, because, and just from a fan's perspective, this was one of the most yeah, I, 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 we joke about fun to watch on this show, but this was a legitimately well-coached, creative, and talented offense. That makes teams more fun to watch. They were an absurdly fun team to watch, up and coming. Like There was just an exciting team, and for that to happen in mid-game, it ruined that game. And hopefully, obviously, Tua's you know, not had side effects super negatively since, but concussions are obviously a, as we just saw with the movie we watched, something that... We don't have, we know a lot of the symptoms can come and go. It, it can be something that lingers and affects you in ways that you can't necessarily measure at the moment. So hopefully really hoping no long-term ill effects for Tua. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't, even if he gets cleared, I don't want him to start next week just because of the shit storm that's going to be involved. If he does start next week, uh, we shall see how that goes, but I don't think the offense takes a massive step back without him, but as we saw, it's not going to be that same. Even with Teddy, I think it's still put up points, but it's not going to look the same. All right, on to the Viking Saints, the maybe best Lund game we've ever gotten. There haven't been a lot of great London games. I don't know. The last Andy Kirk game was mm. great. The Bengals and the just anytime Kirk goes Washington over there, tied. Yeah. he has to put on a show for the for the lads, but. Another injury in this game. Lewis Seen, first rounder. That that was pretty gruesome. Injury he suffered. Again, injuries fucking suck. Part of the game, but it, it doesn't get easy, especially when it's a guy that you just, you know, drafted in the first round are kind of pinning a lot of your hopes to your franchise too. Um and, and especially this Vikings team that if they are going to make the playoffs, if they are going to continue this, you know, as this three and one start that they've gone on, it's gonna have to they're gonna have to need this defense to play well because they have the talent on that side of the ball. They need plays like the needle big game this past week. Cameron Dantzler. They need guys like that to show up three of six targets for Dantzler, 32 yards, only three forced incompletions after he gave up 204 yards through the first three weeks. 
this is, you know, the Vikings aren't going to win. They're not a team that's going to win games on one side of the ball, right? They, they have to be balanced. They need both sides. So losing a key piece of that secondary in Lewisim, not great, but I, I do still think they have the talent to overcome said injury. Saints side of the ball, th- this is not good. You, you know, you're, it was never going to be good with Jameis out. Actually, Andy Dalton played fine, I, I thought, for as far as backup QB standards go. This offense looked as good as it has at any other point this year, so I don't think it's that was that big of a drop off. The, the hilarious thing to me, though, this was my biggest takeaway of the game. Taysom Hill, five million dollars against the cap this year, but fourteen million dollars next year. He is thirty three years old, fully healthy, and has played thirty four snaps this year. <laughs> He's going to cop fourteen million dollars. Sean Payton really left him with a. a Pretty shitty going away present there with whatever that whatever his obsession with Taysom Hill was has kind of hit the fan for them because they, they could use that cash <laughs> in some other ways to help this offense in ways that Taysom Hill really is not, unfortunately. All right, Browns-Falcons. My biggest takeaway, this is going to sound as someone who was a Browns minus one and a half ticket holder, maybe a little jaded, maybe a little sour grapey here. And this is not me. I am not the guy to complain about penalties. But go back and watch Tyler Algier's 42-yard run in this game that set up a field goal, uh, 841 left in the fourth quarter. Go. It was the most egregious mishold I've ever seen in my entire life. Just go search on Twitter at Tyler Algier. I think it was like a 42-yard run. Jeremiah Uskoromoa is getting off a block, going to shed to make a tackle on Tyler Algier, and gets spun around completely 360, like a foot and a half away from Tyler Algier, a foot and a half away from the running back. And they called defensive holding on Tommy Togiai, which like may or may not have been defensive holding, really see it called. But I honestly, like that one, I don't know if it got talked about a ton. I don't think a ton of people were probably watching this game. But that was one of the worst misholds I've ever seen in my entire life. That's my only real takeaway for the Browns. Sorry. Didn't have much more for you there. Just a game that... They probably should have won. Probably should have won. For the Falcons' point of view, I'm all in on Arthur Smith as a head coach. It may not show up in the win column a ton this year, although I do think it's going to show up more than maybe we gave them credit for prior to the season. I don't think we're going to get to that in the mailbag. Someone hasn't picked in the top five in the mailbag. I don't think they're picking the top five. But this offense, the vision, the sort of schematic aspects, and just the – the execution. I, I'm a big fan. And you see this offensive line playing a ton better than they have in previous years. Chris Lindstrom going to have one of the highest graded games in PFF history this past week. 97.1 overall grade because of the creative stuff they're doing schematically in the run game. And, and just the the principles of it. Like they are, yes, they're run heavy. And we've said, you know, run, run versus pass, whatever. When you have Marcus Mariota at quarterback, probably should lean run heavy. Like, you, you want to pass when you have the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. But they are working. It all meshes together in that offense. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Arthur Smith. If you're a Falcons fan, I'd be very encouraged with the direction. They, they just don't have the talent at the moment. But I, I do think this offense is very much headed the right way. All right. Buffalo Bills, Baltimore Ravens. First of the quote-unquote matchups of the weekend that they were rain games the the rain really just it took a lot it zapped a lot of the fun out of it I'll say it I, I know I've been anti-elements for a while 
And some people love snow, rain, winds, like the Buffalo Patriots game last year. I don't. When I see five drops from Buffalo Bills wide receivers in this game, it's not exciting to me. That's not fun. That it's it's like yeah oh yeah you got you got to if I'm like coaching speak yeah overcome it sure, but from fan perspective no no one likes that. People would rather see you watch the NFL because it's the highest of the high. Like you watch the NFL because you want to see execution at the very highest level. Sure, college by all means, rain, snow, bad weather, that's fun. You don't watch college for the highest execution like the highest level of execution. You watch it for the human element. You watch it for the mistakes. You watch it for that. That's like why there are almost two different products and why you have people who lean towards one and others that lean towards the other. But the NFL is for the best of the best. And this was not this was not the best giving their best because of that, unfortunately. But my one take for the Bills though is Josh Allen has to be has to be the most aesthetically pleasing quarterback to watch in the pocket. I mean, the, just the, the speed with which he, like his feet get through progressions at 240 pounds. It's just so fun to watch. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it. It is. It's fun to watch that man play the game of football. And he's keeping the bills. In this offense, I mean, the Ravens go for that fourth down, which I guess we'll get to the Ravens side here. They go for that fourth down because they know he's on the other sideline. And they know that if they give the ball to him with only a three-point lead, you may not get the ball back and you may not get the ball back and maybe down four points when you, if you do get the ball back because he's that good. And there's almost no chance of you getting the ball back with still your three-point lead. That's just facts of life at this point with Josh Allen on the other sideline. Ravens' perspective, dude, I, I don't know what Adafi Owe was doing in this one. He, from like a pure pass rushing, get off, getting off of blocks perspective, I think he's actually been solid this year. Already 17 pressures through four games. Like, yes, good. He could not bring down Josh Allen to save his life. You know how, you know how dogs, um, when they dream, they sometimes they're, they're moving their legs and you're like, oh, they're definitely. My dog is a big sleep runner. Definitely chasing yeah. after something. Adafi, was, his legs were cooking last night in his sleep. He was chasing Josh Allen in his dreams because he couldn't catch him in real life. That was brutal. Brutal to watch. Adafi. Ugh. In fairness, though, that happens to a lot of people. I know. He's not unique in that regard. But he was the one who was always making, like always around six pressures. He was always there. And then he did kind of have the brain fart at the end, too. He did not get the memo. They were trying to let Devin Singletary score on that last run, uh, set up the field goal. They had multiple guys, Ole. And I don't think Singletary realized. And then Odafe comes out of nowhere and just blasts him. He didn't get the memo. Didn't get the memo. All right, Commanders, Cowboys. My take, Cowboys win 25-10. Cover three point as three-point faves, under hits in that one, 41 and a half. From the commander's perspective, is Wentz even a starter somewhere next year? I was thinking about this yesterday. I feel like there's a lot of kind of established, not established, but multi-year starters, guys who have been doing it a while, 
that this is the end of the road for them, right? Guys like guys like Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, guys we just kind of expected, oh, yeah, they're starters. I don't know. I, I think this is it for all those guys. I don't know if any of those guys end up with a starting job in 2023. And especially Wentz, man, because he's got the talent around him, right? I mean, at least Goff's numbers are all right, even if his grade kind of stinks. And we'll get to that in a little bit why. But Wentz couldn't move that offense to save his fucking life yesterday. And they got – like, this is a good receiving core. And a good enough offensive line. 25 of 42, 170 yards. 170 yards on 42 attempts. Four yards in attempt. Oh, that's uh, that's Najee Harris running the football numbers. That's not great. Cowboys' perspective, though, one defense still got still, still legit. Two could even be more legit. Trayvon Diggs has taken his game to another level. Cowboys cornerback. Now we, you know, it was PFF versus the Cowboys fans last year. Cowboy faithful versus Yankee faithful. Uh, Laker faithful. You know, Alabama faithful last year. All the Trayvon Diggs fans. Because we just said he gave up a lot of yards, which he did. I mean, we, we weren't ready to crown him the best corner in the NFL because he had 11 picks. Gave up over 1,000 yards. 17 catches over 20 yards last year. Was five more than any other player in the NFL. Like, he was boomer bust. He just was last year. He's not this year. And that has been massive for this Cowboys defense. Hasn't given up a single play over 20 yards after, like I said, 17 last season. This game, four targets, one catch, six yards, pick, two pass breakups. As good a game as you'll see a corner this season. That game, Darius Lay game, especially given the matchups. You know, Jahan Dotson, he had the pick on. That's, that's... That's elite level quarterback cornerback play. So yeah, Trayvon Diggs has taken a leap, taken the leap. We owe. Um, why am I just? Oh, Cooper Rush. We owe him an apology too. Oh, we kind of do. We clowned him. We kind of. What was that? Was that a hypothetical? A would you rather? Earlier, yeah, Cooper Rush for sixteen games. Yeah, but like if Dak comes back like on the timeline seven. that they said that he's going to come back, yeah. like at this point, they're going to still be in the thick of it. Yeah. Even if Cooper Rush only wins like one more game, you know, they'll still be right there when Dak they'll gets back. Fine. If yeah. Dak gets back, NFC right? East. QB controversy? Mm. You tell me. Well, Sean McCoy. I know, that was funny. He wants Coop. Yep. John Middlecoff wants Coop. Um, I will say this. NFC East. What's going on? 4-0 Eagles, 3-1 Cowboys, 3-1 Giants. Just like everyone thought. Wow. All right. Next game, a score got me here. Seahawks 48, Lions 45, Lions lose at home. Four-point faves. Uh, the over hits in this one as the Seahawks hit the total of 48 on their own. My, my take for the Seahawks, how do we know Rashad Penny's not the GOAT? How do we know? On 33, 333 career attempts, he's averaged 5.7 yards per carry. For his career. That's, that would be the highest of any modern running back, post-merger running back in NFL history. 
Jamal Charles currently leads at 5.4 yards per attempt. Is Rashad Penny the GOAT? Some are saying. I, I, I'll just say this. I, I, I think he probably has the best vision or he, the ability to find and accelerate through a tight crease of any back in the NFL. Him, Aaron Jones is up there, and guys that will just hit a minuscule window at full speed and just be able to find them consistently. This is not a this is not a world beater Seahawks offensive line. This is not a you know this is not an Arthur Smith run game. Like we were just this is not a super high end creative run game. Penny just continually produces. The guy's a guy's one hell of a back. Sad that it took him this long to stay healthy and get his opportunity, but I mean he's a dude. He's good. He's good. Um, other side Lions. Hate to drop games like this, but OC Ben Johnson's going to be this cycle's Mike McDaniel. This they are crafting up, and I got to give a hat tip to. Um, gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. We're not doing good with the uh, oh, name calls today. Name calls have been off all day, man. Um, well, I, I was going to say that. I really can't think of Brand Thorne. Got to be hat to Brand Thorne. He analyzes offensive line play. And basically, I mean, the, the gist of it is, I should have said the point first. Point like they are doing a lot of different things offensively that are obviously you score 35 points a game. You got to be that are creative. And he's maximizing, like he's featuring talent is, I think, the biggest thing that I've taken away from them. And even featuring offensive line talent, like obviously the Amon Ross St. Brown stuff, but. Even featuring offensive line talent, I said I got a hat tip to Brandon Thorne. So I saw him talking about this on Twitter. They have Penny Sewell pulling across formation in the run game. You know how power is usually a guard pull. They're doing it with Penny Sewell because he is that athletic at tackle, knowing he can get all the way across the formation. Uh, I know that's called a dart play by some schematic gurus. But a tackle pull across formation, you don't see much at the NFL level. You see it in college because it's like, oh, let's get our most athletic guy on the move. At the NFL, you're just like, oh, no, you don't have that kind of time to get attack all the way across formation. They're doing it with Penny Sewell. So, yeah, I, I, I do think Ben Johnson is going to be your hot name in the streets to take over as head coach somewhere after this season. You don't lead the NFL in scoring with this group of talent without doing something right. That's a, not to shit too hard on this group of talent, but, like, no one saw this. No one would have said four weeks in – them leading the league and scoring. They just wouldn't have. Now, the flip side, they need a veteran defensive tackle like they need air breathe. Michael Brockers has been non-existent. He has eight pressures on his last 360 pass rushing snaps. They need Levi and Wuzurike back. But, yeah, this is kind of that interior defensive line has been rough. Rough. All right, Chargers-Texans. Chargers win 10 points, cover the five-point spread, 34-24, over hits, 45 in that one, the Chargers, we've talked a lot about the Seahawks. May have found both tackles. I think the Chargers found both guards. Now, Jamari Salyer, so obviously Zion Johnson at right guard. Jamari Salyer, the sixth rounder. Don't know how he fell there. Top 100 player on most boards. It was even higher than that in PFS board, like in the 60s. Falls in the sixth round, I believe via, from injury concerns is what I heard why he fell so far. But he gets his first start. 
at left tackle, not guard, where I was putting him at. At left tackle, zero pressures on 41 pass blocking snaps at left tackle. We're, we're over here lamenting Storm Norton last week, being like, oh, shit, if they got to throw Storm Norton at left tackle, it's trouble. They said, oh, no, we actually have a guy who's light years better than Storm Norton. Not a single pressure, not a single downgrade, 41 pass blocking snaps. That was, I have to say I'm impressed. Honestly, hard to believe that he wasn't one of the best five prior to this. Um, but he has to be one of your stars going forward after that. He looked good. Also, got to give a shout-out, Jerry Tillery, highest graded game of his career. I think I'm proven correct there. Jerry Tillery was the right pick. Now, that was the first time I've seen him actually have some impressive reps. So, shout-out, though, Jerry Tillery, over 90.0 pass rushing grade, first time in his career. Texas point of view, um, we, we always just talk about this rookie class for the Texans, and honestly, sometimes I forget that Kenny Green was even part of it. He struggled in this game. Eight, seven pressures allowed in this game was he only had three the first three weeks. He got clowned in this game, unfortunately. Not great from him. But Damian Pierce, man, already just so solid, such a good all-around game, uh, just a building block at running back that you just don't have to worry about. Fourth rounder. They already have ended any semblance of a timeshare there. He got all 14 carries for the Texans, 131 yards, 100 yards after contact, six broken tackles. Just a dude. He's a dude. Plain and simple. All right, Titans, Colts. Titans. Ended up closer than it was throughout, but Titans win 24-17. Win outright as three-and-a-half-point dogs. Under hits there, 43. From the Titans' perspective, though, ah, dude, Caleb Farley. It doesn't look anything like the guy we saw at Virginia Tech. Back surgery, ACL, he's not the same. He's not the same. The burst is like kind of still there. You still see the burst, the speed. He's not getting... Just clowned deep. Like, he's not, like, lost. But he slips every single break. Just cannot I, – I don't know if it has to do with the ACL or the back or injury or if he just actually was always cheeks. Hard to say. 129 yards and 63 coverage snaps so far this season. Um, guys have whatever they want on him if he doesn't get his hands on them and if he's not running hip to hip. It, it's, it's ugly right now. It's sad. And again, we'll never know if if it's injuries or what. Or and hopefully, hopefully it is just injuries and he gets healthy. But it looks rough right now. It's unfortunate. Former first rounder, twenty twenty one draft. All right, from the Colts' perspective, just pour one out. This is the the Chiefs game held off on the funeral services, but I, I think that's it. Now they they can maybe sneak into the back door and the. AFC South, but this is not a wild card team, and this is not a Super Bowl team. Um, that's for damn sure. And with Jonathan Taylor hobbled with an ankle, if that extends any period of time, they they are they are not moving the ball offensively. I just <sighs> things got rough there quickly, and I called them overrated in the preseason. I didn't even even I did not see this coming. So ugly, ugly stuff for the Colts. All right. On to the Bears-Giants, where Giants win 20-12, to 12, covers three-point favorites, under hits there, 39.5, a lot of unders for the Bears this season. Um, I, I'm not going to shit on Justin Fields, but I did find a stat on Justin Fields that's like the single most worrisome stat that points to why last week I said I, I think it's over for Fields, and it's this. 
49 pressure dropbacks in the season. 49. Five completions. Four, five completions on those 49 pressure dropbacks. It's one thing for pressure to get to you and be, you know, quote unquote, like not great under pressure. He stops playing quarterback under pressure. He, he does not have that play where it's like a subtle move in the pocket, deliver a strike. You, you know, you get, you feel something from your right, move to your left, find a guy, move the chains. There's zero of that at his tape. Pressure comes and his eyes are dropped. He immediately turns into create on my own, immediately turns into a runner. That, that's not good. That's just. 22 pass attempts this week. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of moving in the right direction. Left field's cooked. No, that's, oh, they had to at the end. It's just not good. It's really, that's, that's a worrisome stat. It's just a worrisome stat. So on a positive note, though, Khalil Herbert, I mean, they got an embarrassment of riches at running back now. Clear Her- Herbert is a starting running back in the league, in the NFL. He is a top 32 back. That, that to me, is indisputable at this point. 12 broken tackles the past two weeks once he got called upon with Dave Montgomery out. Second behind only Nick Chubb over that span. I don't want to say I called it, but he was 91st in the PFF draft board coming out. RB5. No big deal. Fell in the sixth round. Don't know how. All right. Giants perspective. They're three and one. Hats off, Brian Dable. Three and one start. Now, they have benefited from an easy schedule that does turn a little tougher here in the coming weeks. But Dexter Lawrence, is he nose tackle one in the NFL right now? I think he is. I think if we're taking any nose tackle, and we'll get to why I think he is, because my former nose tackle one is playing rough right now we'll get to that in the sunday night game but dexter lawrence 91.1 overall grade when lined up in the a gaps it's the most of any defensive tackle who's been there at least 40 snaps this season and he's done it 113 snaps i mean he is just a nose tackle 91.1 grade from there eight pressures this past week against the bears he is all around don't take him off the field despite being 340 pounds that's special nose tackle that's helpful for a defense kind of guy everyone's looking for truthfully so Gettleman did something right him Andrew Thomas playing lights out right now maybe the both maybe the best their respective position in the NFL as it goes right now Poof. did Gettleman know no 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 we can't we can't do that all right Jags Eagles Jags lose 21-29 and again I'm gonna say it the rain the rain. Eagles win six and a half point favorites. Cover that. Overheads at 45 and a half. Jaguars had five fumbles. Four of them they lost. Do they have five fumbles if it doesn't rain? I don't know. Maybe. Some of them were, you know, on Trevor Lawrence ball control. Uh, honestly, if Kenny Pickett had the game that Trevor Lawrence just had in the rain, people would lose their minds. Because Lawrence couldn't hang on to the ball, had a lot of like off-target throws that looked like the ball slipped out of his hand. I still do think he's made the next step. I mean, it was an awful game, awful, awful game from him. But the, the throw he had to Christian Kirk that the broadcast didn't do justice on because they like showed it to Kirk when he was way behind the defense and you know kind of slowing down to catch it, and it looked like just a bust of coverage. 
but it was towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter on the comeback. But it was Lawrence just like manipulating safeties, getting him out of place with his head under pressure. Great. Still has it. So big fan of Trevor Lawrence. Just a kind of an anomalous game. Like you're looking for the Jaguars. I was looking for big takeaways from this game. Takeaway was rain. The Jags made more mistakes. Plain and simple. Eagles, though, wanted to highlight this. Again, this is a I, – I still do think I want to – not think. I, I do still want to see the Eagles go up against a, you know, a touted preseason team, which they won't, you know, for a while still. Their upcoming schedule, Cardinals, Cowboys, Steelers, Texans, Commanders, Colts, then the Packers November 27th. November 27th is the first time we get to see them against like a Super Bowl contender. It's insane to think about, but I still need to like want to see that to see how this team fares all around. But if you have power rankings, they're not top five right now. I just I think you're wrong. They, they just they're going to be consistent week to week. They're going to roll every bad team because they are a very complete team. But I do want to highlight this: fourth and one before the half, tied fourteen to fourteen. I believe there's under a minute left. They're in the red zone. Eagles go for it. Get it. Score a touchdown later. 20, go up 20 to 14. Miss the extra point. No one talked about it. Conventional wisdom. Take the points for the half. Go into the locker room up 17-14. Cool. Do they win that game if they're only up 17-14? I don't know. They just missed the extra point, so maybe they would have missed that field goal. But they went for it. No one talks about it because it was successful. But hats off, Nick Sirianni. Those are... Those are why you go for those. That's in a different game after going down 14-0. That would be a different game only going into the locker room 17-14 or 14-14 if they had missed that field goal. But they didn't. They got it and never looked back after that. You go for these to win games. Go for these to win games. All right, Jets, Steelers. The QB Bowl. Yes, this one. Jets win 24-20 as Zach Wilson. Come from behind win. I wanted... I wanted to make jokes. I did. Early on, the stat line was rough. I wanted to clown him. That was very impressive, Zach Wilson. Hats off. That drive. The throw to Corey Davis that put them into scoring range, put them into tying field goal range, then obviously they ran it in at the end of the fourth quarter, was a dime. Dig route, on timing, tight window, leads him away from coverage. Perfect. He also had a deep out to Elijah Moore in this game. Far hash, 25 yards, seed, before he even got out of his break, before he even started his break, he threw it. Zach, like There were so many more plays in this game that I would be encouraged about than literally any game from his rookie season. The grade's still not ideal. You know, There was still the bad on tape for sure. But all you're looking for is just incremental improvement. Is he putting in the work? Can he fix these things? Because the talent is, you know, you see him outside the pocket just, you know, he has that escapability. He has that looseness. He has that arm talent to make any throw from any platform that the high end, if he kind of starts putting it all together, is there. And there were more high end plays in this game from the pocket that I saw at any point in this rookie season. So very encouraging for them. And then the other side of the ball, those Steelers, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx things. And I know it wasn't a lot, 16 dropbacks. Wasn't a ton. 
I was wholly impressed with Kenny Pickett. Like, shockingly impressed. He, he looked, the poise, the pocket feel, he looked beyond ready. Not just beyond ready, he looked good. Like a good starting quarterback in the NFL. Like, that's how they look. His, I think I underrated in the draft process. I'm already like going revisionist history here and, and already crowning him. But I think I underrated his feel for knowing where pressure is coming from. Like he is, he was so good at Pitt this past year and already looked so good preseason and now this at, you know, when there's blitz coming from the left, when he knows heat's coming from this direction, he just drifts. He kind of drifts subtly, slowly while still being able to read the whole field, while still being able to play the quarterback position away from it, buying himself that split second, that, you know, half a second more that can be the difference between converting and not converting a lot of plays. Goes 10 to 13, 120 yards, throws three picks. If you're upset about that, go back and watch the three picks. One's like a desperation Hail Mary. One was, uh, and then the other two were tipped, I believe. So three picks, but zero turnover with plays. Go back and watch. Like Kenny Pickett was, he was more impressive to risk he was at any point this season. So, yeah, I, I it, it may be too little, too late, but I, I think he could be good this year. Truthfully, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I don't. There's 16 dropbacks. Calm down, Mike. Calm down. All right. Cardinals, Panthers. Cardinals 26, Panthers 16. In the who's going to get fired first bowl? Panthers lose as favorites yet again. Um, under in that game hits, 43 and a half. Can we talk about the J.J. Watt tweet? Quinn, did you see this J.J. Watt tweet on Sunday morning? I did. He took it down. I tried to throw it, it up in there. I guess Damn I could have found a screenshot, but yeah, he took it down. Oh. At least that's what my uh, yeah computer was telling me. I, so it doesn't exist. Okay. Yeah, he did take it down. I wonder why. I bet it's like agents like, dude, don't. That's not a good look. No one was actually going to report the story. So, so yeah, it, given the like the Tua situation mm-hmm. too, it's like yes, I, I could that even see the league being like telling his agent like, hey man, like let's Don't just okay here just I got stop. It. I I managed to pick get it. It says, I was just told somebody leaked some personal information about me, and it's going to be reported on today. I went into AFib on Wednesday, had my heart shocked back into rhythm on Thursday. And I'm playing today. That's it. I love that that's it. Like, no big deal. That's just it. Just just had my heart shocked. I was in AFib all day. Had to have my heart shocked back in, playing a game. Now, I, I, did, I did text my father, former orthopedic surgeon, and I was like, hey, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> and he said, he said this. He said, if it was an unknown caused AFib, so like if... He just, out of the blue, you or I go into AFib, have no history. You would not be playing. You would not be playing on Sunday. That, and they don't know. And if, and if, they're, not, if they're certain it's not, uh, if they're not certain what's causing it, he would not be allowed to play. But um, he said, if it, uh, he said there are things that they know can cause um, AFib, like being on certain medication and missing that medication that can cause that, that can force you into having a heart shock, that can then a doctor can be like, okay, we know the reason he can still play. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. This isn't a Tua situation on our hands. 
I'm guessing that is something that happened there. But still very weird to tweet the day of. And got ahead of the story, though. Interesting, interesting PR move. All right, Panthers' perspective. Dude, Baker Mayfield had five batted passes in this game. I, I remember saying week one, I was like, this offense is just going to lead to a zillion bad passes. They haven't changed anything to account for the fact that Baker Mayfield is six foot tall and can't run a quick slant right over the middle of the field because it's going to get bad down. But of course, Matt Rule and company, Ben McAdoo, have not really adjusted. Uh, I did. That was the most for any quarterback name in five years. Do you want to know what the most is, though, Quinn, in the PFF era? How was the most we've ever charted in a game? And this blew my absolute, this blew my mind. It was the game that was actually five years ago. Well, I do know because I'm staring at oh, right here in the document. I did put it in there. But, uh, well, you go ahead. Sure stat. Matt Stafford had nine in a game against the Saints back in 2017. Two of them got picked off. I, I have to imagine that had to be the most frustrating game any quarterbacks ever played. Maybe not ever, but nine Imagine watching passes. that as a fan. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, Andy Dalton got a lot of passes batted down when he was a Bengal. So I figured it's that, so... like, maybe he would be on this list. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how nine. <laughs> I, 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 I need to go back and watch that. I yeah. kind of, like, actually want to see it. Two now. of them got picked off, and there was, it was a game that was 45 to 38, I believe, at the end of it. And he's in his own end zone. The last batted pass. Batted, picked, game over in the fourth. Unbelievable. I don't remember that game at all, though. But nine batted passes, I should. Um, yeah, Panthers. We'll say highest grade game for Key Kwan's career, though. little silver lining. little silver lining for Panthers fans. All right. And Frankie Luvu looks like a depoy candidate. Um, pa- Patriots Packers took overtime. Took, to, took all 10 minutes overtime. But the Packers win 27-24. Do not cover his nine-and-a-half-point favorites. The cover was literally never in play, despite Brian Hoyer going down either the first or second drive of the game after Rashawn Gary crunched him. Um, Bailey Zappi coming in, playing, I I mean, fine. I I don't think he – he didn't come in to make any drastically bad plays, but they they weren't in this game because of Bailey Zappi. They were in this game because the Packers' run D got Swiss-cheesed by Ramondi Stevenson and Damian Harris. But from the Patriots' perspective, you know, we, we've called the season kind of a wash at this point with after the Mac Jones injury. Obviously still playing hard. But some signs of encouragement from this rookie class. Jack Jones, that was a game. The fourth-round cornerback, very old, 24 years old already. Will turn 25, I, I believe, soon here as a rookie, which he's had a traveled past, let's say. He he's, was a former five-star recruit back in 2016. For USC, academically ineligible at times there, broke into a Panda Express at times there. I think just one time there. Was rule was had a mutual parting of ways, out of football for an entire year. Goes to Arizona State. Finally, after a year, comes there 159 pounds. Plays well actually, but he's 24 years old and still only 175 pounds. Why he falls to the fourth round and why on a lot of boards he wasn't even that high. But he looks good. I mean, he looks like a former five-star. He looks like he looks like what that talent suggested because his T-step game, his ability to come back downfield was elite. That that pick six, not a lot of guys get the best of Aaron Rodgers. I think what four pick sixes in his career? That's a rarity. William Jackson, 
Bengals legend was one, the last one, I believe, to pick six on, um, out in Lambeau. But had that, had the forced fumble on Romeo Dobbs that he also recovered, had a slot fade that he read like a book on Romeo Dobbs, caused another incompletion. Obviously, this was the my only this is my only exposure to Jack Jones this season. I haven't gone back and watched his previous three games because he only played. This was his first start of the year. Had only played fifty nine snaps those first three weeks, but that was those are some high end plays. Those are some that you don't see plays that you don't see below average corners make frequently. To have two of those in one game is rare. You don't see guys like do stuff like that. Do you so. think he would have weighed? More than 159 pounds if he successfully pulled off the Panda Express break-in. Maybe that's why. Maybe he weighs 161. He lives you know? solely off Panda Express, and they mm-hmm. banned him. And he's like, I haven't eaten in six months now. Panda Express, I haven't found one that will let me in. Could be. Panda is good, though. I will say. If, I, if I'm going to CVG, Cincinnati Airport here, I, I have Panda Express built into my itinerary. It's... Low-key, you can, you can eat healthy at Panda Express. I know it doesn't sound like that. I think they even, like, market that, right? Yeah, like, Don't they have those, like, broccoli bowl the, things or whatever? They have the veggies yeah. now. Yeah, the veggie bowls. Yeah, they They're like, solid. are promoting it. Yeah. They veggie are solid. teriyaki chicken. All right. Broncos Raiders. Raiders come away with their first win of the season. 32-23 to 23 win. Cover. Two-and-a-half point faves. Over hits. A few more overs this week. 45-and-a-half the over goes. From the – we're going to highlight two corners here from both, for both teams. Broncos perspective, Patrick Sertan is a top five cornerback in the NFL. We talked about Akuda and his good game against Justin Jefferson. And it was like, yeah, it was good, but they were also putting a lot of brackets, putting a lot of safeties over the top, giving a lot of help while he kind of went one-on-one with some help. Patrick Sertan did not have help. He was going one-on-one following Devontae for a good deal of snaps in this game by himself saying, hey, go one-on-one. We trust you that much for the game. Seven to 12 targets, 61 yards, only 53 yards when guarding Devontae Adams with two forced incompletions doing so. That, that's rare to see a guy go toe-to-toe with Devontae. And yeah, he didn't completely shut him down. That, that's, a, that's even more of a rarity. That just doesn't happen in today's NFL. But one-on-one, no safety, no brackets, no gimmicks. To hold your own like that is a top five cornerback in the NFL type play. I don't know. I'm not going to list the names here, the top five, but he's one of them. He's one of them. Uh, from the Raiders' perspective, this guy's not top five, but he is the most encouraging Raiders corner I've seen in a while that they've drafted. And it's not even close. Nate Hobbs, he's not just a slot. He, everyone's like, oh, you know, he's a slot last year. Okay, that's cool. We found a good slot corner. He's playing outside this year, outside cornerback. The fifth rounder, no drop off in play whatsoever. He looks legitimately like a starting quarterback. I, I, I get, Raiders fans have hated me because I've hated on a lot of their draft picks. Sure, been very critical. I don't think I've been overly critical, and I think the people I've been critical of have been proven to be correct in the long run. I'm giving you some love. Nate Hobbs was a fantastic pick. He's, he is one of your starting corners for however long you'll have him as your starting corner. 27 tackles on the season with two misses. Only 102 yards allowed in four games now. Nate Hobbs, a lot to be encouraged about there if you're a Raiders fan. Last game of the night, Sunday night football. Brutal, brutal start to it. Anytime 
a game that's supposed to be, you know, a back and forth quarterback matchup just gets out of hand early, takes some of the shine off of it. The Rashad White fumble on the opening kick, going down 7-0 after you get the opening kick, like in a blink of an eye, tough start for anyone to overcome. And they couldn't. But also, you're not going to beat the Chiefs or overcome it when their offensive line plays like this. Their offensive line had one of the more dominant performances of the weekend. And against a D-line, that's no slouch. Tampa Bay Bucks D-line got manhandled. When the Chiefs play like this, they are the best team in the NFL. When this offensive line plays like this, they are the best team in the NFL. Seven pressures they allowed, 44 dropbacks, combined between five offensive linemen. Ooh. Ooh. That's how you put up 41 points on the road against the Bucks defense. That's, you know, top five in the league. So... There's that, obviously Mahomes, magician. But the run game is, when the run game gets anything they want, they're to- you're toast against the Chiefs. You're toast. And then from the Bucks perspective, what is going on with Vita Vea? It's one of the reasons why I don't love investing high picks in nose tackles or you know, big nose tackles, 347 pounds, Vita Vea, I don't know if this is injury-related. He doesn't have a run stop on the season. Four games, 66 snaps against the run, zero run stops. I believe one solo tackle in the run game total. That's it. One solo tackle in the run game so far this season. Some of that's some schematic stuff they're doing a little differently this year. They're asking their D-line to you know, hold blocks a little more than years past. They're not quite as aggressive up front. But for him to have that little of an impact, 44.1 run defense grade now in the season, and going back to my point about nose tackles, shelf life. One ding, when, when guys are that heavy, you know, the Mackay Beckton's of the world, the Trent Browns of the world, the Vita Veas of the world, uh, hopefully, knock on wood, Jordan Davis of the world, not him. But when you're that big, a little, you know, a little nagging knee issue, a little nagging ankle issue is a much, much bigger deal than it is for 300-pounders, 310-pounders. And I haven't heard anything about Vitavea and injury. He's only 27 years old. He shouldn't be on the downside of his career from a physical perspective. This should be his peak. And over the last two years, he was at his peak. But this is not, this is not the Vitavea we've seen before. So I don't know what's going on, but this is not the same defense without him, especially as you saw in the run game without him playing elite level. All right, that is it for your one take on every team throughout the weekend. Let's get to the fun to watch, and this is just a solely not fun to watch because Antonio Brown, you guys all saw it. I don't have to, we don't have to put the picture, we put the picture up, we didn't have to. We know what's going on there. I don't know, I, I don't even know where to start on this. Let's just get to I don't want to discuss what I was going to actually discuss prior. Um, <laughs> but let's just get to the tweet, Antonio Brown. So he exposes himself in a pool in Dubai. Weird-ass video. I watched it. I don't know why. Pretty much any video involving AB is, AB is weird as fuck. And then he tweets this out afterwards, saying, I'm telling every team that needs some offense to pick up AB because he's shown that he still has the ability to expose a D at NFL. And in very classic AB fashion, he literally stole that tweet. That tweet was tweeted eight minutes before by Hard Factor News. Just when you think Antonio Brown 
maybe made a clever joke about sexual assault. Not to make up the sexual assault, but it was. You can't hand the cleverness. It's stolen. Uh, that that's it though for AB. That, that he's not. If you thought someone, because there was still a chance, right? That someone's like, okay, you know, playoff push. We'll eat, I was gonna we'll ask you it, that, right? like pre this. That there was a yeah. chance, you know. Yeah. There six games. Ch- All you got to do is survive six games. Exactly. Like, can you just stay in line for six games and win a, a ring? There was a chance. I thought that someone would pull the trigger in December. I need 25 catches out of you. And, and exactly. Just because, I mean, the Bucks did it already. You know, like, sell your soul for a championship. It's not a unique concept throughout the NFL. Multiple teams are doing it as we speak. So someone would have. This one's a step too far. When a guy's exposed penis has circulated the internet in a unwanted fashion, I believe the video was weird as fuck. I don't know. I don't know what to say, but it's over. It's over. Um, this other one was great, though. I don't even know. I don't even know what segment this belonged in, but I just had to talk about it. David Hook Hookstead, a Badgers reporter something for, I think it was Outkick, tweeted this after Paul Christ was fired, Wisconsin football coach. He said, I'm not saying Wisconsin can steal Nick Saban away from Alabama, but given our great academics and outstanding campus, we should at least call the Gage's interest. He'll probably say no, but have to at least pick up the phone and call Badgers football, at Badgers football. This, this reminds me that of the truism that fandom is a disease, that fandom warps your brain, that being fan of a football team, of a whatever, and especially at the collegiate level, I'd say, you're just operating from a completely different viewpoint of every other you know, rational human being on the face of the earth earth to think that now he said he doesn't think they could steal so he 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 couched in that so good start but to say they should call to gauge his interest um it's embarrassing it's an embarrassing tweet it's you anyone who's not a unabashed wisconsin homer is sitting at home howling laughing at that take it's absurd. How much do you think they would have to? Because he makes him. he makes twelve million a year at Alabama. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think they would have to offer to even get him to like pick up the phone? Yeah, so it's to I'm Brian Kelly 20. to Brian Kelly, yeah, Bama twenty a year. I don't think I don't think he'd leave for twenty million a year though. You don't I, think he'd go? I, I think he for almost like double his salary. I think he. I think his net worth like a hundred million at this point. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, maybe it's like he you're doesn't. haggling. At, it doesn't money at that point. Doesn't his daughter go to Alabama too? Isn't like sure his family that. like established there? I, I would assume though he is, and yeah, I think it would have to be like twenty five for him to even be like, oh well, maybe I'll think about it. But even still, like guys at that age, it's like, hey, let's get Joe Paterno to leave Penn State. You know, let's. It, it, it doesn't happen. He doesn't want to. Leave. All right, here's a better question: Money's How many more years do you think Saban has just coaching in general? Because okay. I think he's in his. Is he seventy? Yet? Uh, let's see. Nick Saban is 70 on the dot. There you go. 
and actually so you're, turn you're getting there you're seven. getting in that conversation right you're yes. you're about at that age yes because you know you don't want to go out oh no i didn't actually say this um but you don't want you don't want to go out looking bad i was going to say you don't want to go out looking like lee corso who i i should have brought should have brought up the top of the show did we he was out on he was not on college game day this past weekend i saw that yeah after and I, I saw him on the hot seat last I week. I saw a tweet too, like they were saying like he's okay, but it, it seemed like very hush hush. Yeah, too. Which it, which that's where Fowler, I was like, I know I feel bad. I just said last week him and did, Bradshaw yeah. were. This is your, this is your fault. But it's well, Bradshaw was okay. I heard him yeah, talking yeah, yesterday. I yeah. saw him on TV. So he's, Bradshaw is good to go. He's not. You're one for yeah. two. But dude, he had to go to the hospital. He had to get tests done. Fowler said it was run of the mill test. He just wasn't feeling okay. But it's like. That's oh, was that Fowler that tweeted? Yeah, that? Fowler said that. I saw Fowler something else thing. then. Okay, Ugh. but it still seemed very like yeah. under but, the radar. Like we're not even going to talk about this. But this is what I was kind of referring to when I said, you know, we don't want him to go out like this. We want a farewell tour for Lee Corso before this happens. You, you know, before it ends in a sad way. That is run at ESPN. I'm not talking about his life. Don't please. No, not that. But we wanted to celebrate Lee Corso for the awesomeness he's brought to college game day for the last, you know, however many, since like its inception. We, people love him, but they don't want him to go out looking like this and that to be your final memory of him. So hopefully he's okay. Hopefully everything turns out. But it's over. It's over. The, the run of college game day. Let's have the farewell tour and let's end it. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for a shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, over-unders, or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code BALL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it is not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. All right. Let's get to your mailbag questions. Some good ones here today. First one comes from Bruce Brownhater on Twitter. Make sure, again, talking ball, PFF underscore talking ball on Twitter. 
send DMs with mailbag as the first word and good chance of getting on the show. If, if you come with good ones, some of them I just respond in the text. If it's something that I don't think would have appeal to a wide variety of audience. If you're asking me about like a prospect that probably a lot of people don't otherwise know, that's going to be like a fourth round pick. I might just respond to you in the DM, but I respond to everyone. I'm pretty sure I have at this point. If I haven't resend the DM and I will try. All right. Is there something to be said about pairing a franchise QB with their college wide receiver who they already have rapport with? Joe Burrow has had great success with Jamar, and the same could be said for Tua and Waddle. Arizona is trying to do the same with Kyler and Hollywood Brown. Obviously, the opportunity doesn't present itself every time, but if a team has a chance to pair their young QB with an already familiar target, do you think it's worth a shot? I think it's happening more, obviously, with the sort of consolidation of talent around college football with you know good teams hoarding good quarterbacks and good receivers. Um, but I, and I do think rapport is a massive part of kind of that equation, right, of the elite wide receiver quarterback connection, you know, producing big numbers and passing offense rapport is huge. Trusting where a guy's going to be, knowing where he's going to be, knowing how he runs his routes is a massive part of that. Now, does it take, you know, entire collegiate career and then into the NFL to have to develop that? No, it, it can be developed at the NFL level. We see it all the time. So I don't think it's a necessity. Um, I, I don't think it's worth selling you know, if you have a first round grade on a different wide receiver versus second round grade on maybe his teammate, I don't think it's worth bucking that for. But if grades are close, if money's close in free agency, if the opportunity's close, by all means. Like if you're if you need a wide receiver and you know Hollywood Brown's available on the trade block, and I guess, you know, for that same first round pick they could have gotten AJ Brown. That's not swaying me over to Hollywood Brown. I'll just say that. Like, it, it's still, talent still wins at the end of the day. And these guys are professionals in the NFL, know how to handle their business for the most part. But it's more from like a draft perspective. I can see factoring it in. If you know you have a young quarterback, so you know you just drafted, um, I'm trying to even think who this would even apply to in recent years because no quarterbacks even were. So if you know you just drafted Kenny Pickett, the Steelers, and like Jordan Addison's on the board. So Jordan Addison versus you know, maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah, I'd probably go Jordan Addison. You know, you know, the inbuilt sort of relationship and rapport. So yeah, there are times where I would definitely factor it in, especially the Jamar Chase situation. It was something to factor in and correctly factor in. But I do think it's a very slight edge. All right, C Sports Bros asks this on Twitter. Excluding QBs, what draft has had the best top 15 of all time? And where does 2021 rank? The 2021 team would have a core of QB, Trevor Lawrence, wide receiver, one, Jamar Chase, wide receiver, two, Jalen Waddle, wide receiver, three, Devontae Smith, tight end, Kyle Pitts, uh, Rayshon Slater at left tackle, Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard, Panay Sula at right tackle, Micah Parsons, Patrick Tan, J.C. Horn. Those were all top 15 picks in that draft. Truly, truly, truly an insane draft. And I honestly don't think it's too early to say that draft from what we've seen. One, there's no busts. Two, there's like already high-end, pro bowl, all-pro, Hall of Fame trajectories from, oof, I mean, Parsons, Slater, maybe Sewell, maybe Sertan. Kyle Pitts went for over 1,000 at a tight end already. Jamar Chase in that conversation after breaking the 
rookie receiving record. It's all there. Like the, the, there are future Hall of Famers there, but there is one that's close. Now I'm not going to go back into like the '80s. I didn't watch football, analyze it the way I do now. I can't tell you for certain, but in modern football, let's say post 1995, 2011 was pretty awesome. The 2011 NFL draft and the 2021 are clearly one and two in some order. I probably lean 2021, but here, just listen to 2011. Non-quarterbacks in the top 15. Von Miller, Marcel Darius, A.J. Green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones, Alden Smith, Tyron Smith, J.J. Watt, Nick Fairley, Robert Quinn, Mike Pouncey. That's tough, man. That, that one's like, that one's no skips also. All of those guys, every non-quarterback through the first 16 picks made a Pro Bowl in that draft. And then the quarterbacks obviously being Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder. History maybe be repeating itself. And Dalton, second rounder. I know. But, but he was in that good. draft. But also great. Should have got a win uh, yesterday. Yeah, served it. Played well enough. Yep. So 20, 2011 already has the sort of – it already has the – careers played out you know we already know those guys were sick i think 2021 could pass it but we know 2011 sick 2011 is like the gold standard so that's where i'd lean all right blake ansteth i I think that's how you pronounce it i don't know he's both they're both the names are spelled weird there's a y in, in blake i'll just say that ask this watching michael Penix, he had a ton of Love for what he did at Indiana. Now he's at UW. I believe he's playing better football and it's almost not even talked about. Why do you think that is? Well, he's on the West Coast. No one really talks about Pac-12 games. They start at 10 a.m., 10 p.m. Everyone's going to sleep. That's probably why. Um, but from a draft perspective, why probably no one's talking about him is this. Two ACL tears. Sternum, uh, either broken sternum or like severely injured sternum. I couldn't get uh, exact details on that. And AC separation. He's never... Four years now, he played at Indiana. Has never played more than six games in a season. Injuries is why he's not getting talked about from like that perspective. But he has been balling this year. I, I've been very impressed. I know Trevor Sigma is a big fan of his. Um, also, Anson PFF here and my roommate. So he's high on him. I would like to see him play a full season before going to bat. But that's he's dr- on tape, very much a draftable quarterback. All right, and then he asked this also. How relevant is it that Will Levis plays in the system that he does? Does it make him more NFL-ready? And if that's the case, why aren't NFL-ready guys drafted over traits guys? Um, it does make him more NFL-ready. There, there are offenses. We talked about this a ton with last year's quarterback class. Uh, Sam Howell's offense, Malik Willis' offense, where it's just you're not even doing – you're not playing the game you'll play at the NFL level. It's so different that there's no way to expect you to come in the NFL and play early. It's just a, it's a different game. So when you are getting coached by Liam Cohen last year, the Rams offense coordinator, Rich Scandrello, former Broncos offense coordinator this year as Kentucky's OC, doing things that you will be doing at the NFL level, you feel a lot better about how that transition's going to go, the rockiness of it. Like it's not going to be completely new stuff on his plate that whole first season. So it's just an easier transition period. I think we've seen, though, that it's not an end-all, be-all. It's just more about the transition period. How is that going to go for you? Um, you know, Josh Allen's transition period is rookie year stunk, and he turned out awesome. 
Mac Jones' r- rookie year was tremendous. Had, had you know done a lot of NFL, been coached by a former NFL office coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian. Comes to the NFL and then year two hasn't really taken a step forward. Now, obviously, too early on to say that, but like it's more just saying how tough it'll be out the gate for you. You'd rather a guy be hail from an offense like that, but again, it's not. It, traits still matter most. The ability to tote the rock, throw it inside windows, be a playmaker still matters. All right, last, uh, we've got a couple more here actually. The Cole on Apple Podcasts actually left, left this one in a review. Still, still reading the five-star reviews and answering questions there if you care to do so there. During the offseason, tailgate and PFF grade the Jaguars draft very badly. Given the early success of the Jaguars rookies, would it be an updated grade on their draft? Uh, so I, I do believe we gave them a B in the draft because big part of that was, you know, Trayvon Walker versus Aiden Hutchinson. We liked Aiden Hutchinson a lot more. Trayvon Walker still a great player, was a top 15 player in the draft board. We top 12 player in the draft board, at least 12th. But he's been kind of what we said. He has not been an impact pass rusher. He has eight pass rush, He has eight pressures all season on 113 pass rushing snaps, 47.6 pass rushing grade. He kind of just he was going to be a project. He played the run. That's what he did at Georgia. But he was a project year two, year three, year four. That's what you're looking for. So I, not ready to declare that one one way or the other. Devin Lloyd, we we loved. We always like that was what gave them a B in the first place. But we dinged them for trading up a good amount to go draft him with some holes in this roster. We thought it was tough to, a tough value proposition to give as much as they did for a guy like Devin Lloyd, but he's been awesome. And then they drafted another linebacker in the third round, Chad Muma, who has only played nine snaps all year because, oh yeah, they've spent a lot of money on linebacker and also drafted linebacker in the first round. And two linebackers is your base personnel. One linebacker is more common than three linebackers in today's NFL. So that was odd that's why grade was low i don't think any of those things have necessarily changed all right so i'm not changing the grade we're not updating not yet we'll do it we'll do a one-year update next offseason all right a hopeful fail can fan said this on twitter it's no news that the falcons will be drafting top five next year with a concern still at the quarterback position how likely do you think we will have the opportunity to draft Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud with Ritter still on the roster. How many games and wins should Ritter have before considering a QB? I'm more confident drafting a first-round talent than a third-round QB. What then happens to Ritter? I want to see Ritter. I've been banging the table for this. Marcus Mariota, seven completions this past weekend. Ritter can do that. I, Ritter can do that. I just you gotta gotta see what you got. Mariota is the guy we've seen Mariota be his whole career, and I get that you're still trying to win games this year. And I do think the Falcons will win more games than I gave him credit for. As I stated off the top, I'm a believer in Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith fan here, and that's going to cause them though to also miss out on next year's quarterback class, which is why you want to see what you got in Desmond Ritter. Um, I, I do think they'll be outside of the young Stroud sweepstakes. Those guys, I, I'm still thinking go top five. I don't think the Falcons would be drafting top five. But I do think there may be more guys in this class. I'd be interested to see. And I do think they draft one in the first round or make a play to draft one in the first round. So we shall see how that plays out as time goes on. Last mailbag question here comes from Paolo101 on Twitter. He asked this. The Kentucky Ole Miss broadcast just said Ole Miss running back has a mature running style. 
who is the most mature runner you've scouted? Honestly, it's Rashad Penny. I, I said when he came out of San Diego State, he had the best vision I've seen as a runner. But I, I also do want to give a shout-out to, but I'm not sure that's running style. Zeke Elliott, that was kind of his selling point, right, coming out of Ohio State. North-South runner, ran like NFL running backs. You know, he no nonsense. Don't see him bouncing out runs. He's going to maximize every op. Zeke Elliott was that. I also would put Jordan Howard was as north and south a runner as it gets. Now he just wasn't as physically talented as Zeke was. But those guys are mature runners. Those are some mature runners. All right, end with this before we get to Andre Carter, the interview with the Army edge rusher, top 20 player in PFF's draft board. Football adjacent power rankings. We're doing the best alternate unis in the NFL. In honor of the Bengals going all white, which was – it made the top five. I'll just say that. Teaser. At number five, this one, Quinn, I don't know if you know what this one exactly is. I, don't, I can't remember the last time the Patriots wore it. But it's the throwback, the Patriots throwback with the guy snapping the football. In the it's helmet. Patriot Pat. Patriot is that guy's Pat. name. There we go. Yeah. So I do know what it is. Yeah. And yeah. those are sick. Those are so sick. Those are, those are good, clean-looking unis. I like that whole like modern throwback yes. look like yes, the yes, throwback yes. with like on the, the Riddell speed flex helmet with the 100%. Nike jerseys. Like that just looks, it's kind of hard to fuck that up. Yes. That one. And the Falcons throwback. I have it for with the red helmet, the black Falcon, like any, all those updated ones that then the jerseys are tighter. You know, you get the smaller shoulder pads, like it looks modern, but with that, with what a, the, you know, aesthetic they had back then, Big, big fan of those. Number three, and this was tight. Three and two were tight, in my opinion. I kind of want to flip-flop them now. But I put the Cowboys star shoulder jerseys, like the navy ones with the stars on the shoulders. Uh, those are so clean. I think they wear them for Thanksgiving every year, maybe. Or am I mistaken there? Whatever those ones are, are very hot. I, I almost, growing up, bought one of those, even though I'm a Packers fan, just because they were there. It's a clean Jersey. It's a very clean Jersey at number two. This one I did have growing up and I think they've almost ruined it. I think they were better back in the day, but it's still hard to beat the Char chargers powder blue alternate jerseys. Th those are clean. I had LT charge powder blue back in the day. You're talking about the true throwback, like with the gray face mask and everything. Cause yeah. like they kind of have adopted the, yeah, they've adopted blue, it, like, but they've also thrown it like it's, it's not the true throwback. They've worked yeah. in some modern elements. But the Chargers, they still do have sick unis. Mm -hmm. Those look good still. Yeah. That, it's hard to fuck up. It's hard to fuck up Potter Blue. It's such a, it's such a nasty uh, colorway. And then lastly, the number one jersey in the NFL. The Bengals All-Whites are just primo. Primo. They were pretty universally liked. Yeah. Like, I don't think I really saw know. anybody that was like, these don't look good. That's I how think you know. pretty much everybody was in agreement that like these are, this looks fucking sick. And the field looked good too. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. the spray painted uh, B in the end zones, dude, that was clean, very clean. That's why I'm wearing my white hat. Yeah. The uh, is that actually why you wearing the white hat? No. Okay. I just <laughs> this is, I wear this hat all the time. I know. Uh, but yeah, that that's what's that's a great point though. When you don't hear anyone being like, "Oh, that sucks." That's how you know because no matter what jersey combination color scheme someone throws out there's someone out there is going to be like hate it stinks that it chose that no no one said that about the Bengals because it's just universally loved i will say this though 
Bucks creamsicle, that orange, making a comeback in 2023. They'll be on this list here sooner rather than later. Can I give a couple honorable mentions? Yeah, let's hear it. The uh, Eagles throwback, like the Kelly green, like that bright green. Mm-hmm. Those look good. Um, I like Denver's, like the throwback, the like the bright orange and the royal blue, where like the uh, Broncos like jumping through the yep. D. Those All are orange sick. words. Um, Oilers. I don't know. Have the Texans ever busted those out? Oh, the, the Oilers? Oil, the Oiler yeah, logo Houston Oilers. throwbacks? Yeah, because that's, again, powder blue. I don't know. Those would look good. Yeah. I don't know if I – I can't remember I if they have, but those are sick. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. Okay. That's mine. I, I, that's not necessarily in any order. Those are just off the top of my head. Those yeah. uniforms, just they look – they're good. I'm excited for the, the the Bears all orange with orange helmets. It's a, it's a nice look. Do you like the like the Wolverine-looking one with the striped socks that they bust out? Occasionally, I think they wore no. it in week two. You don't like those? No. I mean, I guess you're. No. I guess I'm talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. But yeah. I think those look kind of good. Yeah. The the. I will say I, I have a vastly different opinion on like the actual like power ranking of best normal jerseys in the NFL compared to uh, probably consensus. I like some weird ones out there. We maybe maybe we'll do that one next week. We'll do normal. Do you remember when the Broncos busted out the, it was the Brown and yellow and they had like the vertical stripes. Brown and yellow. Yeah. Buy yourself some time. Let me see if I can pull a picture of this. I know the worst jerseys I've seen, um, from like a team where as a throwback is the Packers. They busted out a blue, I think it was blue with like a yellow circle in the middle and then brown pants. It looked like absolute shit. The Acme Packers. Like they had thrown yeah. it back way too far to a point where no one had any graphic design or any like uh, design skills whatsoever to where they were putting jerseys based off of whatever materials, raw materials they had. So they had thrown it like back. Like this. Oh. This is what I was talking about. You remember those? No. Why don't you, I? Uh, this tough. was, I think this was before, I think this was Reebok. So this was before okay. the Nike switch. So this was a little while ago. So yeah. But like a decade or so. yeah, those are, oh. that's a tough look. Dude. Bumblebee. I know when the, the Steelers go, they're uh, black and yellow stripe. Those are, those are clean. I'm a fan of those. Mm. No. I, but again, yeah, that so might just, just be yeah, inherent just bias. Hate, you just can't like anything. Steelers. There's a lot going on there though. There is. Yeah. I will say the, like, when you see like a, and this is very rare because usually like a jersey that you buy at a store, like the, just the fan jersey kind of looks whack because it's like three sizes too mm-hmm. big and stuff. But like those just like to buy, to have, if I was a Steelers fan, I almost think that looks better than like the whole get up because they got the stripes going on in the socks too, which looks kind of wacky. But like just that jersey itself, mm-hmm. if I was a Steelers fan, get I, probably, I probably would get that. Yeah. It's clean. it's clean. All right. There you have it. The best alternate unis now on to an interview with army defensive end andre carter i'm joined here today by andre carter outside linebacker rising senior at army and andre i'm gonna start with this i'm gonna start with a little story for you and then get to the question that i think everyone listening to this right now kind of wants to know and the story is about how i came across your tape last year so uh if you know anything i'm not sure how familiar you are with the pff grading system but uh Basically, it doesn't account for level of competition. So I'm going back through as a lead draft analyst here and trying to set the draft board or kind of just going through the end of the year checks last year to make sure I didn't miss any prospects. And a lot of that is checking small school guys. And a lot of times we'll have small school guys with these high grades 
but it doesn't necessarily mean they're pros, you know, top end prospects. A lot of times it's, you know, guys have a top tier pass rushing grade, but they are six foot, 220 pound edge rusher, just running around these unathletic offensive tackles. And so I get to this guy from army that I've never seen before, but he has the same pass rushing grade as Aiden Hutchinson. And I'm like, there's no way this is like, I'm like, how is this possible? So I go to flip on the tape and I'm like, holy shit, this guy is six foot seven, 260 pounds and can move and can use his hands. And like, I, I was just supposed to be checking to see if they were even a prospect or not, just watching like a handful of plays and just a check mark. But I ended up watching like five games of your tape. I'm watching Missouri, I'm watching Wisconsin, I'm watching Wake Forest. And every single time I'm like, wow, I, like obviously you were a junior last season. I didn't expect you to declare early from Army, but it brought the question to me. How did you end up at Army in the first place? Um, so in high school, I was pretty, I was very lightly recruited. Um, I was playing the wrong position. I was playing receiver and tight end. And so um, I guess a lot of people didn't really project me playing at that at the next uh, in college. And so I ended up going to prep school in Connecticut for a year. Um, and that's when my coach is there. They had me play receiver, tight end, and outside backer, what I'm playing now. And that's kind of when uh, Army and then Air Force also recruited me as an outside backer. And that's when I really um, started to focus on that side of the ball just because those two offers were a lot better than playing um, at an FCS school somewhere. Um, well, it was better for me, um, at least, playing at an FBS program like Army. And that's how I really ended up here, um, going out of that school in Connecticut and switching positions. So why football in the first place? You know, you're six foot seven. You came to Army. You were 230. Like, that's a, that's a long build. You could have played basketball. You could have been you had a tennis build, probably. Like, you, you could have been a swimmer, too. Like, why, why football in the first place? Uh, well, definitely not tennis. When I was young, I, uh, my mom put me in a tennis camp, and I kept shooting the tennis balls into the basketball hoops. They told me that probably wasn't for me. But um, I, always play, I played basketball in high school, too. But uh, football really – I was always a lot more aggressive, so football definitely favored my favored me more. Um, just being a lot aggressive and to that nature, I was got a lot of fouls and was really just known as kind of like a rebounder and like a a six five center back in high school. So it was definitely better to uh, venture to football. Were you the tone setter on on the court? You were the guy that kind of you you had the hard foul when you needed it. Yes, sir. I was definitely the uh, the guy you needed for just how, if I wasn't getting rebounds, coach was taking me out the game. Love that. Love that. Let's get to kind of your day-to-day -day life here. Cause you said you're lightly recruited end up at army. It didn't seem like you sought out army, like probably some of your teammates might've, or some people uh, at the Academy do. What is your day-to-day -day life? Like say like, what's a Tuesday look like for you in the fall? Uh, in the fall, usually wake up, I'll get up around six 30, um, have morning formation and then classes till about noon. Uh, some guys will have class after lunch, but this past semester, I didn't have any classes after lunch. So then eat lunch, and then I usually go up to the stadium, get treatment, and then uh, we'll have workouts, film, practice meetings, all that, and then team dinner up at the stadium, and we usually leave the stadium around uh, 8 or 9 o'clock, and then get back to the room, do homework, and then wake up, do it all again the next day. So how regimented is it? Like, I remember my freshman year kind of, of college, I went to Notre Dame, the, the realization, like when I skipped class and, and no one said anything the first time that I could just skip any class and, and there was no sort of rules to it. It was just, you, check, you 
up or you didn't. And if you didn't show up, you probably got a bad GPA and it ended up ruining my GPA, but that's a whole nother story. But if you miss something there at Army, like, is that even an option for you? Uh, I mean, it's an option, but you'll definitely get in trouble for it. And uh, we have this thing called walking hours. And so if you miss just one class, that's like an unexcused absence, you get three hour, three walking hours. Um, and so that's just literally in your full uniform with your rifle and all your, all, basically all your uniform on, you're just walking back and forth for however many hours you get to do it. So I missed a brief my freshman year. It was at night. It was a nighttime brief. And I didn't, I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't know we had it. And I got three hours and that was the last time I ever missed a class for an unexcused absence. So I definitely learned quick, very early on that that wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be accepted or tolerated. So I'm sure you have friends at other schools. How different is your college experience say, to some guys who, you know, probably your high school teammates with that went on to play elsewhere? How, how different is, I'm sure you talk to them and, and hear about their experience. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I can necessarily speak to how different it is. I know that other guys playing division one football are probably um, at school right now, working out with the team and doing that sort of thing. But I would say just the, the day-to-day -day like grind here, um, it's at first it's kind of hard to get used to, but you really got to, you learn to stay disciplined and stay focused on what you're, what you got to get done and uh, what you got to accomplish. Another thing too, that I would say that is a lot different from other schools is that you're, it's not as a freshman, but as you get um, older, like sophomore, junior, senior year, you're actually in charge of more people in your company. So you're kind of responsible for other people as well, not just yourself, uh, which is probably a lot different than some other institutions. Yeah, I, I wasn't even responsible for myself in college. So that, uh, <laughs> it definitely is a big change. Um, does it still feel like college, though? Like, I I'm sure you've seen, you know, Animal House, Van Wilder, movies that, you know, glorify kind of the collegiate experience. Is that, is that the case at all at Army? Is there anything like that that goes on there? Um, not on not on post. There's definitely no parties in the barracks or anything like that going on. But um, we do get the opportunity to take pass and go to other colleges uh, that are near here. Um, it's always fun to go down to the city. So um, there's enough of that that if you really want to do that, you can you can seek that out when you get the opportunity. But um, on post and on campus, there's not much not much partying going on. All right, let's so switch gears here a little bit. Talk about. NIL. It's the big hot topic in collegiate football. Guys are transferring to get money. Um, that's a whole sort of, you know, great thing for the student athletes to be able to get. But is that even a topic of conversation at Army? Like, have the coaches ever sat anyone down and talked about NIL deals at all there? Uh, the guidance given us so far is just that um, service academies aren't able to, well, at least Army is not able to capitalize on the NIL deals since we're members of the uh, military so it hasn't really been much of a anything nothing's really changed just because they said that we're not allowed to um have any nil deals or anything like that i've seen the dod budget you can't even break off a little bit of that for you maybe like get you in a commercial <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> here's i got i got i had an idea for you like you on one frame you're turning the corner on an offensive tackle next one you're turning the corner with your rifle and, and it's like you know that's the, the army student it's you that could be you man uh, the army might have to implement some of that in their uh, in their commercials that they're putting out soon. So, so I got you as a top fifteen player on the PFF draft board. Kid, do you know offhand the last first round pick 
from Army, what year it was or who it was or either of those? Uh, off the top of my head, the last first round pick, I'm not really, I'm not too sure. Um, 1947, Glenn Davis went number two overall to the Lions and Tex Coulter went number seven overall to the Chicago Cardinals. So it's been a minute. You, you could be breaking some ground here next spring. Has that even entered your thought process about the NFL, about, you know, hiring an agent, any of that senior bowl, shrine bowl, has that, or are you just focused on this upcoming season? Um, when a lot of that, like mock drafts and stuff was first coming out, um, yeah, I would, I would look at it, but I feel like it's easy to become distracted by that stuff. And I really just tried to focus on, um, just focus on this upcoming season and how I could get better myself and how I could help my teammates get better. Because, uh, at the end of the day, I feel like if I take care of business on the field and my teammates take care of business on the field, the rest will take care of itself. So I try to just try not to get too distracted by that type of um, speculation and stuff like that. Cause nothing's, nothing's guaranteed. Speaking of taking care of business on the field, what have you worked on this off season? What's been the point of emphasis, if there has been any to your game to take you to the next level? Because I, I know your defense coordinator, Nate Woody said, you need to be more power oriented rusher to start. Is that something that you're trying to implement more in your game or what it, what do you think you need to improve upon the most? Uh, I would say that's a good critique um, as far as coming in with a better pass rush plan. If I could implement more power moves, I feel like that'll give me a better chance just to keep the offensive tackle, um, keep them off guard and not know necessarily what's coming next. They could be going in a deep vertical set, trying to cover, uh, stop the speed rush off the edge. Um, and then that'll just give me a better, better, uh, better power rush to the quarterback. So I think getting better at that and implement like a long arm into my game that I can really rely on. Well, not a, it'll help me in the end. Um, just give me more ways to beat the offensive tackle. Yeah. Love, love that saying ways to win. I, I talk about it all the time with defensive end edge prospects because it is so important. That if you're not, you know, on Miller speed wise off the edge, you got to have a lot of ways to beat offensive linemen. So how, how do you work on that in practice though? Because not to, you know, trash your offensive line, but you guys are a run first team, 84% run pass rate last season. Um, not a lot of pass sets. You know, the guys you're working against are not NFL caliber pass protectors. How do you work on that in practice without, you know, sort of just taking the easy route and just going, you know, right through some of these guys, because obviously it's a little bit of a mismatch. Um, I think our offensive line, they give us a lot of, it's a lot of perks of practicing against a triple option offense. Um, one would be they play just at an unbelievably low pad level. And so, especially for a defensive lineman, outside linebacker, uh, to practice against that every day, that really helps us against the run against um, traditional offense teams. But it's something that Coach Woody always tells me to do, just try to go into practice, getting better at one thing. And so, like, I'll go into practice if I want to get better at my bull rush. Just only use that move, um, regardless of what the scout off the tackle or uh, if we're doing one-on-ones. Just use that move and just try to perfect that move. And I think that's something that um, has helped me uh, just continue to get better throughout practice. So you, you talked about just going to one move throughout a practice. Do you pre-plan moves in a game? Say it's a third and long, you know it's going to be fast. Are, are you saying this is going to be a spin move, this is going to be a rush, this is going to be that, or are you working off an offensive tackle? 
Um, I would say throughout most of the game, I'm kind of working off the offensive tackle. Uh, if I feel like he's been oversetting me a lot and um, kind of cheating it a little bit, I might uh, call something like a stun or something where I can go inside or something like that. But most of the time I try to – it all, really what I try to do is just get a great get off and then – if I can beat the offensive tackle to the to the spot and get around him, then I will. Um, and if not, then I'll convert to something else, go uh, arm over inside or speed to power, something like that. So you're – what weight are you at right now, just to, just for reference? I'm at 255. 255. So I, on the website, Army website, it said you came in at 230. How tough is it to put on weight there? Because I know sort of uh, – me personally, I, I tried to go into uh, Marine officer training uh, corps in – college and the running aspect of it was a lot and it was something that it was tough to you know i had to lose weight like 20 pounds just to even come close to that threshold how was how tough was it to put on you know 25 pounds since getting to army and still being able to run uh and do all the physical elements uh that it requires from you um it just like anything it just takes time and effort um Every summer we'll have like a summer training. So that's probably around the time that it's the toughest because when you're out there for three weeks at a time eating MREs and not really getting the right nutrition that a division one athlete should be getting in the field, uh, you definitely lose a lot of weight. So it takes some time to get that back. And then the biggest thing for me is just putting on the right type of weight. Um, after, you know, during COVID being at home, I put on a lot of the wrong type of weight. So really got to focus on the things that I'm putting in my body, eating the right food and that type of thing. Is there a emphasis on nutrition there at army? Like, are they, or like you said, a lot of times out in the field, you're not getting what you probably need to be eating as a collegiate athlete. Um, when we're in the building, like I'm at this football stadium right now, uh, the nutrition is great. We have a great nutrition center that uh, all the athletes can eat at. And um, the football team uh, gets us food up at the stadium. So, um, when we're up at the stadium, it's, it's great for us, but when we're in that field environment, summer training, our focus is not really on football at that time. It's pretty much just on military training. So, um, that's when the nutrition is not really conducive to, a, uh, being a division one football player, but that's kind of what the job calls for. And, uh, being an officer, you got to learn how to do those things and survive, um, in that type of environment. What's, what would you say, so uh, in the training environment, what's the coolest thing that you've gotten to do that, you know, the normal run-of-the-mill college student and any other university would just not ever dream of being able to do? Uh, the coolest thing I got to do was probably last summer, uh, I got to throw a, a real grenade for the first time. And, you know, I've always done it in video games and stuff like that, but to do it in real person, it really, like, surprises you how like loud and powerful that thing is and uh it definitely was a shock when I got to do it what's that feeling like when you pull the pin like and you know it's in your hand and you know if you don't fire that thing you know pretty far away from you that bad things are going to happen um I was definitely nervous um just because it's my first time but we had great uh training uh so we had soldiers out there that were training us how to do it so step by step we knew what we were supposed to do but it's still nerve-wracking to know that the amount of power that you have in your hands um, at that time. All right. One more question here. One more kind of topic, and then we'll let you go here, Andre. Do you think like uh, if as being where you are now, 
as one of the you know best premier outside linebackers in the country. Do you think you would have had the same sort of career trajectory had you gone elsewhere to a different school, to maybe an FCS school? Would you have been in the same spot mentally, physically as you are now? Um, I definitely wouldn't have the same mindset that I have about things, about um, getting my work done and as far as school work and uh, just all the, all the other stuff that the academy teaches you besides sports, definitely wouldn't have had that mentality. And then with football, I mean, I don't know if I even would have been playing outside back. I probably would have been playing tight end or something like that. So um, I'm definitely happy I made the decision to go here and definitely blessed to be able to um, go to this institution and be alongside the other cadets here. It's a lot of great people, and I'm definitely blessed to be in this position. I love it, man. Thanks so much for coming on, Andre. Really, really appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me.